everybody and welcome to the Coach for Tutors podcast where we grow your tutoring business with each episode. My name is Michael Gibbon, the host of the Coach for Tutors podcast and the founder of Coach for Tutors. At Coach for Tutors, we work with tutor company owners and private tutors to help them launch and scale their tutoring businesses. Today, I am joined by the amazing Charlotte Watson, who will be going over with us must-have tips for your journey from teacher to entrepreneur. Welcome, Charlotte. Hi, it's nice to be here, Michael. Oh, thank you so much for being here. A little bit about Charlotte for our listeners. Uh, Charlotte has over 20 years of experience in schools as a senior leader, head of English drama and educational consultant, specializing in thinking skills and gifted and talented education. Charlotte moved into the tuition sector in 2016. Charlotte delivers group tuition online and face-to-face to over 150 students a week from the ages of 8 to 16. Charlotte develops skills and knowledge in meaningful, engaging sessions that inspire and motivate pupils to become independent and confident learners. Charlotte prepares children for the rigors of the 11 plus and GCSE exams while fostering a passion for language and literature. Her first book was published by Schofield and Sims this year, 11 plus English study and practice book. It equips children with the knowledge and skills they require for the 11 plus. Charlotte also develops her own online resources for English. Well-being cuts across everything Charlotte does. As a practitioner and trained yoga and mindfulness teacher for children, Charlotte shares strategies with parents and children to help them navigate the challenges of exams and education. Warmest welcome, Charlotte. Thank you again for being here today. Yeah, it's great to be here. And I couldn't think of a better way to spend my evening than to talk about education and being a tutor. Oh, excellent. Well, Charlotte, it would be great to learn. You've shared a bit in your bio, but for our listeners, can you tell us more about your time in the classroom? Sure. So I started teaching in Brixton in London in 1995. And I started in the primary age range. So I was in Key Stage 1 at that time. And I kind of remained a classroom teacher for a period of about five years. And then it's like most things, unfortunately, if you start to get expensive as you go up the pay scale and then they expect you to take on more and more responsibility. So before I knew it, at the age of 32, I was a deputy head in quite a large uh, all through primary school. And I was also the SENDCO of that school, which is um, obviously the person in charge of the special educational needs. And I did a lot of other things there as well. But I'll be honest with you. What I loved about leadership was obviously supporting other teachers and spending a lot of time looking at training within the school and CPD. But the one thing it does always take you away from is obviously your first love, which is teaching. Mm -hmm. So that is why after a period of 20 years, I decided I wanted to go back to what I love and do best, which is a form of teaching and tutoring. Oh, fabulous. And uh, for yourself, Charlotte, like what helped you, um, and you touched a bit on it earlier, but what helped you to really make this transition toward becoming an entrepreneur? How did you feel about that transition for some of our listeners who are looking into something similar? What helped me was, I suppose, because I had been a teacher for so long and had had so many different experiences. I mean, I ended up working with secondary age pupils as well. And I'd literally worked in such a range of settings. I'd worked in inner city, in multicultural schools. I'd worked in other areas which were more rural. I'd worked in um, state funded education. I'd worked in um, independent schools. I'd worked across a range of um, 
testing assessment arrangements, if you'd like. I'd worked amongst so many different people with different teaching styles, leadership styles. And I just, I suppose I realized I'd got to a point where I just had the confidence in myself and belief in myself to know that I knew what I was doing and that if I did take the leap, I would be okay. And I won't lie, you know, tutoring is not the same as whole class school teaching. It is different Mm -hmm. and it does take a little while to get used to. Um, And even though I'm now doing groups with, you know, middling sized um, amount of pupils, it's preparing children for specific exams. It's still very different from classroom teaching and it takes a while to get used to and adapt to, but you've also got the confidence of knowing you believe in your own pedagogy and you believe in what you know to be a good way of teaching a good way of learning and of course you have the freedom to do whatever you want in the way that you want to do it obviously you know people think yeah tutoring I literally can do whatever I want well to a point but obviously parents have got to be on board with that and you've got to really back it up with your own knowledge and and experience Um, and obviously although what I do is not completely about the outcome. It's not completely about, yay, X percent of my pupils pass their exams. That obviously has to come into it. But I think what also just really fired me up was because I am so passionate about education and about my subject English, I knew that that would come across when I started my business and people would know I'm not just doing this, you know, for a bit of extra pin money. I'm not just doing this to make loads of money. I'm not just doing this because school's too hard, although to be honest, school is a very hard place to work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did make that decision to leave. I, I knew that I had this absolute passion and commitment to absolutely want to give the best to my students that I took on as um, a tutor. Oh, that is excellent and some great, uh, great tips and points. Thank you so much, Charlotte. Um, and definitely what you mentioned earlier as well, a lot of uh, these you know, educators that are looking to potentially make that decision at that crossroads to go into tutoring, it's really taking the time to not just cultivate, you know, that you can, you can teach subjects, but also cultivating the relationships with the parents and guardians and the children, make sure everyone's on board for success to thrive. Absolutely. I mean, you really do have to not only manage your own expectations and the expectations of your students, but absolutely it is about managing the expectations of parents as well, particularly in this kind of 11 plus um, minefield. You know, um, there's a lot of um, myths out there, if you like, and there's a lot of uh, stories and drama that are created, you know, by people's experiences and parents' concerns and panics. Um, I I advise most of my parents to not actually go on a lot of the the WhatsApp forums because unfortunately I think sometimes people can panic other people out. You know, I do 20 hours study extra a week with my my child and I've been doing that since he or she was four. And it's like, Mm -hmm. I I get parents going, I don't do that. And I'm like, you don't have to. You know, I think that's what's really important. Parents have to realise their child is an individual and there is no set way or set time to start um, preparing for some of these things. Yes, obviously, there is an average, there is a bell curve, there is a, um, I suppose, an, an optimum amount of hours a week, an optimum amount, you know, age range to start. But that 
has to be taken into consideration with the child that you're dealing with. And um, I, I do kind of try and um, lead my parents away from all the drama. <laughs> Absolutely, Charlotte. And you touched on a great key point that it is really look at the individual child, the individual situations when you're setting up and looking at tutoring certain students and families because everybody's different and not not necessarily, I mean, you have a guideline, like you said, a bell curve or something as a, as a guideline, but don't take that as the solid golden rule, the only way to go, because there's, it's a variety of paths you can follow depending on yeah. students. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so I guess kind of going into that individuality, you know, there's a lot of, um, beginning tutors. I know I was, for example, I was like this when I started my tutoring business. I was, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna teach everything. I'm gonna teach, you know, math and ESL and English and biology and chemistry, etc., etc., etc. How do you feel about that? Do you think it should be like that, or should it be more finding a very individualized niche to really cultivate and develop your practice with? Well, in the same way that I think, you know, we've got to treat um, students as individuals. I think we've got to be very careful the, the advice we do give to aspiring tutors. I mean, there is a general feel out there that you should have a niche. Um, I mean, I know, to be honest, that's what happened for me when I was still a teacher in uh, different schools, um, particularly when I was a year six teacher, where you are a bit more of a generalist, even though English is my specialism. Um, I wanted to earn some extra money. So I did put out there to be a maths tutor as well um but and and there are some people who are what we call 11 plus specialists who teach maths and english um probably to a very good level but for me personally i and and i ironically some people could argue i'm not even niche enough i mean i decided early on when i decided to leave teaching um completely in the the, the school setting that I really wanted to focus just on English because my degree is in English, my specialism throughout my teaching career, when you um, have to lead on a certain subject in schools, even though when I was primary trained and primary teaching, you, you still are a generalist in many schools. They always um, made me the English specialist that would lead training, etc., cetera, um, for whole school um, meetings and whatnot. And it just made sense to me to make English my niche. Now, I do actually run all the way from year three, which is um, eight-year-olds, up to year 11, which is 16-year-olds. But that developed over time, to be honest. I mean, I was, by the end of my career, teaching kind of secondary stage pupils. And obviously, I got to know the curriculum quite well. And even now, sometimes I do think, shall I, shan't I? Should I specialise even more? Should I become even more niche? But the reason I don't, and the only reason I don't, is because I am actually guided by my pupils. And I think that's another thing you do actually have to take into account when you're deciding on a niche. You know, there's no point offering a niche of um, crocheting, and I'm being facetious here. Crocheting <laughs> is a wonderful art, but if nobody in your area actually wants it or needs it, and I'm sure all crochet teachers out there will be up in arms and will have found their way of being a niche, but you get the kind of analogy. <laughs> mm -hmm. There was no way I could offer that in this area because it's just not needed and wouldn't pay my bills. So, um, but what I noticed is once I'd, you know, completed the preparation with a lot of my year five pupils going into year six for the 11 plus, um, they wanted to continue. They said to me, we want to continue all the way to GCSE. So it kind of made a, a business sense for me 
to actually keep I, I run various groups for um, up to the 11 plus, but then it made sense to keep a, a group going for each of the secondary age um, pupils up to year 11, because there was a, a need for it and there was a want for it with my current pupils. And I'm equally as busy with my secondary age pupils as I am with my primary. And the other reason I wanted to is actually a personal reason for my own skills and knowledge I very much felt that if I just stuck with English 11 plus, um, I could become very dry. And I wanted to keep that variety for my own, if you like, professional purposes so that I would make sure that I was keeping on top of the English curriculum anyway. But it kind of suited the needs of what my pupils wanted. And, um, but yeah, definitely for me was to become an English specialist. It made the most sense because it was my area of expertise. It was my area of interest. And I do, to be honest, have a passion, not just to teach the subject, but to instill my pupils with a love of reading, a love of writing and understanding and, you know, break down the fear of poetry and of Shakespeare. So it's about, you know, bringing a holistic um, experience, not just exam prep that really you know, fires me up. So I can't do that across too many subjects. <laughs> I wouldn't have the time to kind of give that energy or that research. That was perfectly stated. Like that's, that's exactly it, Charlotte, that, um, and for listeners that, yeah, you really want to look at the demand, look at the need that's out there, like you said, and as well, what are you passionate about? What gets you fired up? What wants, gets you to want to go out there and tutor and get out there and make these wonderful impacts, like you said, doing Shakespeare and working with English and that is your area mm-hmm. of expertise and just yeah so if, for people that are listening just go out there and fi- find your passion or or cultivate your passion and see the need for it out there and just go for it mm. yeah I think it I mean it comes through in your tutoring if you were to look through a lot of my testimonials it's all about the fire it's all about the passion I give to those kids it's not just about the you know very few of my two um, testimonials actually just say, oh, yeah, she helped him pass the 11 plus. It's much more about the enjoyment that they got from it, you know, the independence, the confidence and the fact that they're still reading, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, yes, obviously, I cannot give all the passion and the enjoyment if they don't pass. You know, there, there has to be that sense of seriousness and rigor. But it's it's being able to bring the two strands together, which, you know, is what the parents want for their children on the whole absolutely and and like as we were touching on like tutoring is a multi-layered process it's not just okay i'm gonna go in i'm gonna bring my books i'm gonna or i'm gonna go online i'm gonna teach a subject call it a day like it's so many layers beyond yeah. that and really developing that practice like you said by just Ooh. seeking that out so do you what do you have any other advice charlotte for you know for teachers who are looking to enter the tutoring sphere who are looking to make that transition and would like to have that same level of passion, excitement, experience. I think, ironically, you <laughs> having said we're talking about having a niche, you do have to be a s- slightly flexible at first. So, for instance, mm-hmm. you know, and I'll be honest with you, I absolutely never thought I would be teaching 15 groups a week with 10 children plus in every group. I, I got out of teaching and just thought, you know what? As long as I have enough one-to-one pupils, because I originally started just with one-to-one, you know, if I just have enough one-to-one pupils to meet my bills, 
that'll be fine. So at first, and I am talking pre-COVID here, we're talking 2016, when, you know, what was Zoom? It was a song by Fat Larry's band in the 80s, you know. <laughs> it, you know, nobody, well, not that many people were using Zoom in 2016. So, you know, on a Sunday morning, I mean, I literally in 2017 had about five days off in the whole year. I had three days off to go to Marrakesh and I think I took Christmas Day off. And so I... I did have to be prepared to work hard. And I was literally going from house to house to house to house to house. And, you know, on a Sunday morning, I live near Croydon. I know <laughs> this probably means nothing to you in Canada, but I, people who are listening in England will know this. I lived in Croydon and I traveled on a Sunday morning at 9 a.m. to go to Chelsea which is about 15 miles away, but that's through London traffic, you know, and then I would drive all the way back and then I would drive here, there and everywhere, you know, and then by six o'clock, I'd kind of sit down and I was exhausted. Mm -hmm. But what it did was it, it really showed me a work ethic and I don't, I don't, I'm not an advocate of overwork, please. You know, I'm not saying that, but what it showed me was that I, at first I did have to go where the work was and you know, if somebody was in Chelsea and wanted me, I went there as long as it was feasible. And then I went somewhere else and somewhere else and somewhere else. Um, but over time, I could start to change things. So, you know, it wasn't long. I think it was in my second year. I was starting to do small groups because I realized, you know, if I'm teaching the 11 plus curriculum to the same kind of student, hour after hour after hour it's ridiculous doing it one-to-one -one. when to be fair they don't need any real individual interaction because they haven't got any specific need or neurodiverse you know need for attention you know they would do brilliantly in a group and they'd actually spark off each other and we could get a really you know convivial group going where everyone supported each other so I started to look at my timetable and look at how I could start once, you know, a child had finished tutoring with me, gone through the 11 plus, I could then build in a group rather than an individual lesson. And very slowly over time, I gave my parents lots and lots of notice, like literally six months notice kind of saying, you know, I'm not going to be teaching one to one from September. I really encourage you to allow your child to join a group. Da, da, da. And and I sold it to them. So I think my tip is try not to worry if you're not where you think you should be and just be prepared to be a little bit flexible but start working in ways in which you know you can build and give yourself the space to grow slowly um it's different obviously now with everything uh being so much faster and online opportunities and people might find they don't need as long to grow and they might find you know whoop already i've got four groups and i've got eight people in those groups but just just don't panic if you feel like you're not filling up things as quickly as you'd like, but still find a way to be flexible enough to take those people on in a way that helps you to pay the bills and, you know, allows you um, to hit the targets you need, if you like, financially. That's perfect, Charlotte. Thank you so much. And for listeners everywhere, uh, Charlotte, where can listeners uh, find you? So they can find me at www.wonderlearn.co.uk. I'm also on a Facebook group, Wonderlearn Tuition. 
And I'm also on Instagram, wonderlearn underscore UK. Oh, brilliant. We'll definitely post those links uh, with this episode for our listeners. Uh, you'll have access to those and uh, you can uh, reach out to Charlotte with uh, your questions. Uh, Charlotte, thank you so very much for being part of the Coach for Tutors podcast today. Thank you so much. I could talk for hours. <laughs> <laughs> oh, likewise. Well, thank you so much again, everybody. And as always, make it a great day. Thank you.